Hello everyone, welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. I am your host, David Dacry. I'm a hospitality professional with two decades of experience in bar and restaurants. My pursuit in this podcast is of having difficult conversations of our industry and of society as a whole. this episode, I'm going to talk about the chemistry of staying healthy whenever in isolation and high stress the way that we have been for the last few months. Also, I will talk about the 382 days of the bus boycott in Montgomery that kicked off the civil rights movement and how it relates to today. Lastly, I'm going to talk about the problematic names in our industry on products such as when we just saw how Uncle Ben's and Aunt Jemima are be- being rebranded and Gone with the Wind is gone for a little while. So let's go ahead and uh, get started. But before all that, let me go ahead and talk a little bit about Juneteenth. And Juneteenth is today, June the 19th, 2020, and it celebrates the liberation of slaves um, after the Civil War. And one of the things about it is that I found interesting in history was how slave owners from other states would bring their slaves here to Texas in order to get away from the Union. Because for one thing, the, the Texas is such a large uh, state that has so much uh, varied terrain that it was more difficult for the Union soldiers to basically, you know... Uh, go throughout the entire state and let it and free all the slaves and let people know. I mean, it's so much so that at times they would they would show up into some of these uh, plantations, and um, the slaves didn't re- did not realize that the war was over, and so they had been isolated. Um, however, Juneteenth celebrates June the nineteenth, eighteen sixty-five, when General Granger. Um, landed on Galveston Island here in Texas and uh, um, announced that all of slaves were free. And so it's something that uh, we should definitely pay attention to because in the current state of our country and our society, we need to start to understand one another a little bit better. And uh, this is one of those uh Um, instances that we can do that just the same as there's no reason to celebrate Columbus because Columbus was first off not very good at navigating so he was kind of a dumbass that got lucky and secondly um, he was a tyrant that that destroyed many many lives and cultures for whatever riches he was looking for there's nothing to celebrate there. Absolutely nothing. Because even him landing here was an accident. So let's get rid of Columbus Day and let's celebrate Juneteenth. Okay, let me start off with this. In the past week or two, uh, last 10 days or so, we have uh, been going through a lot, right? In, in the response to the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, which are more than just 
uh, protests on a single issue. It is encompassing the entire problem with society and the ideas that support the in, implicit um, discrimination of others or yeah, the implicit. And so, you know, we, Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's are um, rebranding and uh, a little bit of the history of Uncle Ben's and in, in whenever I read about it, it brought something to mind which was an interview with uh, Mr. T. Uncle and boy, and uh, I can't remember what the other term was, was used to refer to black men. Um, in particular, uncle was to an older black man where you needed to call sir or mister in those days to show respect. Um, black men were called uncle because they did not want a white person to call a black man sir or mister. And in an interview back in the early 80s with uh, Dave Letterman, um, uh, Mr. T uh, explained why he changed his name. And, you know, because David Letterman was asking, well, what's the actual name? Is this my actual name? It's Mr. T. And he said the reason he changed it was because people would look for excuses to not show respect. And so he says, whenever you refer to him, the first thing you have to say is Mr. The show of respect. And so that goes to show that even in the 80s, there were people that were aware of this slight disrespect towards a population of people, towards black men in, in particular. And rebranding Uncle Ben's and Aunt Jemima, it's... Uh, it was way past due because this argument has been out there for a while and there's been always some excuse to not do it, right? In that it's tradition, it doesn't mean anything, it's all these other different things. But right now that we have been witnessing so many murders on video and uh, of, of black men or black people, of in some of them not even black, but it's just, just all this abuse. <clears throat> um then it, it's it's we have to to address the entire thing because these implicit uh, biases um, exist all around us and so for me that has been plantation rum that is a a name that is troublesome to me and so i recently posted about it um on my social media um if you want to follow me on twitter at david daiquiri no actually at daiquiri underscore tv but anyways, I posted that it's inappropriate to have a Caribbean rum named Plantation the same way as it would be inappropriate to have a Polish vodka named Auschwitz. The reason for that is that plantations have always been uh, a place of rape, murder, and oppression. And so because of that, I had someone whose work I, I respect reach out to me and shared an article, and we, we had an exchange about the, the issue, but she shared an article about, um, about this particular um, issue that someone had addressed uh, before. And this article, I'm going to link it on the comments, is by uh, Osayi Endolin. And, um, and she there grapples with the same troublesome um, issue nature of the name plantation and so she contacts the the people that created it and, and produced it 
and and essentially towards the end of the article it seems like it's sort of a a we agree to disagree uh type of resolution that seems to happen with the producer because he's like well this is one of the thing points he makes which you know i can understand is that in these distilleries these plantations the people that work there refer to them as a plantation right and it it's to me it's sort of like it's not enough and and i'll tell you why in in latin america or at least i remember in puerto rico there's this one character uh called memin if you're from latin america you probably are familiar with memin memin is this young boy that has that is dark as tar has got big red lips and it's got this surprise look on his face sounds familiar and is a term of endearment he's funny he does these silly things and and all that and it's just accepted right and the thing is that latin america has his own issues of racism that runs deep and they're taught at a very young age as you can tell this is a kid's comic book and because of that you know to a degree it is not uh, the active racism that you see here you, you seldom see these acts of hate uh towards people of, of color in in uh in latin america at least in the caribbean but there is this 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 very subdued second class place for people of color so it doesn't surprise me that the people that work at the plantations or the distilleries refer to them as plantations they just accepted the name didn't really uh see the need to to challenge it um because you know things are fine the way that they are and i used to believe that right it's like okay until i started to meet other people black uh afro caribbeans right people that are of uh of caribbean latino uh descent and uh but they're black and whenever we would get into this subject whether it was through food or through you know comedy or whatever it was and we would, and i would say certain things of this comedian or this type of food and all these you know biases and 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 kind of, you know borderline racist stuff because and i say borderline because the the food and all belongs to all of us right there isn't this this is black people food and this is white people food like you have here in the united states no this is the the caribbean food and this is south american food and this is uh, central american food and, and and that's that but when we would get on the subject they would just point out to me that that shit was racism that they they didn't care for it they understood how it fit into our culture but they were not comfortable with it so then what you're saying is here with accepting one people's um you know the people that work in these distilleries aka plantations uh accept that name to it and so that means that everyone else out there has to accept it and i i reject that i i totally reject that that premise and that conclusion it is lazy it is convenient plantations are 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 large pieces of land of cash crops cash crops are labor intensive so the plantations have always been a place of either slavery or exploitation of labor you can't have it any other way because it's expensive 
you know, when you, when you when you learn economics, you're told that you know your your capital investment versus your your you know your sunk costs and 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 your labor labor is two thirds of your expense. That is the reason why exploitation of immigrants and slavery has been part of um, economies that are prosperous because that is the way that you keep costs down. So plantations are a symbol of oppression because you're either exploiting, even to this day, you're either exploiting your labor in, in, in low wages or you are having slaves, right? And you should know that slavery still exists to this day. Um, and so I reject, uh, I haven't carried plantation rum or any pure Ferran product for, for several years now um, because that's my stance. And I really haven't said much because, you know, I always get the same argument from people in the industry, which is like, yeah, but the rum is so good and I don't think they mean anything by it. I get it. I get it. But for me, given the history of the Caribbean, um, and given the people that I that I that I know and care for, that um, are of Afro-Caribbean descent, um, they're not comfortable with that. They're not comfortable with that. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you, there's another one called uh, Dictador from Venezuela. I don't like that rum either. I don't like that name. Given the the history of of dictatorship, in 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 the Latin America, in, in South America, in, in, in Dominican Republic. I'm not interested in a rum that is, is glorifies these things, right? Because that's what you're doing. You, you, you're, giving, you're giving power to the name by just accepting it because it's a good, according to you, it's a good product, right? That name lives as something positive because you accept it to be something positive. I mean, the swastika was, was a religious symbol before the Nazis took it and fuck it up. But so now you're going to tell me you're going to go and pray to a, to, a, to a swastika? So, I'd, like, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Um, you can leave the comments uh, on here. You can go to my social media. Uh, like I said, is uh, at uh, Dakery underscore TV on Twitter. And um, David underscore Dakery on uh, Instagram. So, um, yeah, let me know what you think. I know the one thing we did right hey! was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize. The civil rights movement of the 60s got kicked off with mainly, um, you can attribute it to one event. And uh, oftentimes people will say that's Rosa Parks defined the laws that um, prevented her or black people from sitting in the front of the bus or equal but separate. 
And but the other thing that I think that the the one detail in all of that that most people forget, or maybe you don't know, because I'm 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 getting really surprised at how much people don't know about history, as as far as the actual circumstances by which which these um, events in history happen, because schools have been teaching history in a terrible way, in in a very shallow shallow manner that keeps you ignorant of what the real significance of these events are. And so whenever she did that, she got arrested and the boycott, bus boycott occurred, which was a planned boycott, was lasted for 382 days. All right, let me go ahead and uh, share with you a little bit of history. The December 1955 arrest of Rosa Parks for refusing to give up her seat on a bus to white passengers sparked the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. The boycott against the segregated bus system was supposed to last one day, but an estimated 17,000 African Americans supported it. The boycott lasted more than a year. The community's enthusiasm led organizers to extend the protest and appoint a spokesman. That person turned out to be a young Montgomery minister, Dr. Martin Luther King. Opponents of the boycott resorted to many tactics to deter and intimidate protesters from participating. Among those tactics, legal harassment. On February 21, 1956, a Montgomery, Alabama grand jury indicted 89 leaders of the boycott, including Dr. King and the Reverend Ralph Abernathy. Their crime? Violating a 1921 state statute forbidding boycotts without, quote, just cause. 382 days. But you got to remember that time there was no Lyft, there was no Uber. That time taking a cab was, you know, fairly expensive or you know you could but these people weren't making that a lot of money so what people ended up doing is is pulling to go to work people would you know neighbor would have a car they would take their car fill it up with uh two or three of your neighbors and then drop each other uh at work and then and then come back or people would walk but the 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 authorities um pushed back and they started to give people tickets for walking down the street or for having too many people inside of a car or for really arbitrary reasons that was meant to simply uh, harass and instigate um, because they wanted to intimidate the black community to get back to using the bus. Because As the strength of the Borkatas grew, the intimidation turned violent. The homes of several leaders, including Dr. King's house, were bombed. On the night of August 25, 1956, several sticks of dynamite were thrown into the yard of Pastor Robert Gretz, an outspoken supporter of the boycott. And there was no guarantees, especially when you're walking or driving you know, a bunch of black people that you weren't going to get heavily harassed uh, by the police. So that is the event in its totality that kicked off 
the civil rights movement. Because even then, it wasn't clear what's, what's, what's going to go next or next or next or next. It was just like, we're going to go, we're going to go for the bus thing, right? And then we'll see what else pops up. Or at least there were some ideas. But remember, oh, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, when Martin Luther King was wanted to march in Selma or, you know, he wanted to do more sittings and he wanted to continue the pressure, a lot of the other preachers and, and, and leaders in the black community were saying, like, dude, you know, slow your roll. This is, you know, we, we got the bus thing. Let's just stop there. But he understood that that was an opportunity there to be able to get closer to equal rights and protection from the law, right? There needed to be legislation. It's just the same as in Germany, it's illegal to fly the Nazi flag, right? It's illegal, which means there's a certain level of protection for the Jewish people in Germany based on the history right actions from the, the 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 government in the past so what did they do the germans do they passed laws like okay no you can't do this anymore something that hasn't happened here i mean they've been you know the civil rights act pretty much applies to a broad group of people i mean it just this week got used for you know, uh, the uh, LGBT uh, community, right? And, and, and frankly, to tell you the truth, I think that's a setup. I think that what they're doing right there is putting that uh, uh, Civil Rights Act on the crosshairs at the Supreme Court because that's a conservative court. That's an activist conservative court. And so that decision was was out of character. Same thing with DACA. And DACA, I don't know if you realize this or not, but basically the way that they wrote that opinion on why it was, they struck it down, it was not that he couldn't do it, is what uh, Roberts wrote. It's not that the administration couldn't do it. It's just they didn't do it the right way the correct legal way. They didn't, they didn't correctly file the right papers and went through the right process for it. They just rushed it, just did it like because they could. And all that, that Robert said is, you can't do that. You have to go through the full legal process. In other words, don't, don't hand me over any sloppy uh, paperwork. And all that the administration has to do is go at it again from a different angle and make sure that it's all, you know, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And in addition to that, I believe that those two decisions, especially given that they're in the same week right now in July, right before he has a rally, is just going to roll up there his base. So, 382 days in order to get the civil rights movement started, which lasted until 1968 when Martin Luther King uh, was murdered. 
So from December 5th, 1955 to December the 20th, 1956 is what the boycott was. Shortly after the boycott began, organizers filed a federal lawsuit challenging the constitutionality of Montgomery's segregated buses. The lawsuit worked its way through the courts as the boycott continued. And on November 13, 1956, the Supreme Court ruled that public bus segregation was unconstitutional and ordered Montgomery buses to integrate. On December 21, 1956, one day after the Montgomery bus system was served the court's order, the boycott ended and the city's black citizens resumed riding the buses. So understand what you're, what's going on right now, um, how this is uh, more likely to play, play out. Because one of the other things that has happened in every, every time that um, the black community has seeked equality, um, there has been more violence um, brought upon them to brown and black people, but in black people in particular, because one, after emancipation and the Civil War, uh, the Ku Klux Klan came out and they started to do all the murders and the hangings and the uh, cross burnings and things like that. After the Civil Rights Movement, what you had was mass incarceration and you had the uh, police patrolling neighborhoods that they didn't belong to. And so they were not part of the community, so they didn't really care how bad um, the, 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 the negative effects of the type of policing that they were doing didn't matter to them because they didn't live there. That's one thing, but we'll get into that in the next segment. So what is it about your environment that is good for you or bad for you? What is it about the people that you're around that is good for you, good for you or bad for you? Uh, what is it about how society treats you that is good or bad for you? Well, I'll put a link to this. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a podcast from NPR and they go through the actual science. But I, I just wanted to touch on this and give an overview of what I think um, is important to you, to me, um, but in particular, what made me think of it was a lot of the people in the uh, bar and restaurant industry are extroverts. I mean, there are, there are people in the craft industry that are introverts that are book, uh, worms and people that really like the history and the recipes and this context of the craft of bartending and those are your mixologists or craft bartenders whatever way you choose to to identify with but to the the many extroverts in the industry it's it's difficult to be isolated and and sitting at home which is basically what we did in, in march and april and that causes chemical imbalances in in the brain and so some of the things that I wanted to point out from this, uh, this, re this podcast that I was listening to was where you live matters is one of the things that they point out. And it matters in the sense that there's uh, some studies, there's a study that shows that 
even in white neighborhoods where black and brown people are um, continually, constantly being stopped and frisked and and um, have to the, these people have to constantly deal with authority, the the police for minor infractions, misdemeanors or things that are really nothing, running a stop sign or uh, stopping, you know, switching lanes without turning uh, a light, you know, the, the turn light, things that are truly uh, minor. In those neighborhoods, even the white population is has poor uh, health, poor health than the ones in the white neighborhoods where the police are not interfering with people's lives as much and as often. So the overall health of a neighborhood, of a community, is uh, contingent on the entire community being treated fairly or being treated poorly. So if you really want to make a community less healthy, then have more interference in their daily lives. If you want it to be healthy, then have less interference in their daily lives. Is you know the data now shows that that is. Um, I don't want to say that simple, but that 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 the data exists to prove that. Okay. So then there's other things um, that these studies uh, show. In one, this guy studies the uh, stop and frisk um, policy that New York had for a while, and that later on was known to be or prove or. Uh, legis- uh, not legislated what am I losing my words here um, the court said that it was unconstitutional let's leave it at that alright so what was the problem with that um, the problem with that that was what they call proactive policing which is if the police thinks that you look suspicious then it gives them the right to stop you frisk you treat you like you have committed a crime even though you haven't right so that is supposedly for crime prevention so what that did is it that study showed the health impact on the population that is subject to to that type of treatment and so it was mostly black brown people Asians too but mostly black and brown and part of that was uh, it it increased uh, cardiovascular disease it increased obesity um, and uh, high blood pressure. So these are things that we're dealing with right now, especially especially with uh, COVID-19. These are dangerous things to be predisposed to. Then you have these uh, chemicals in your brain that uh, either give a positive or negative view towards the world and the world around you and, and about yourself. And so uh, this uh, this book, and I'll put a link to it because I think it's really interesting. It's called Good Chemistry. It talks about oxytocin, and oxytocin is is a uh, chemical in your brain. You, you'll have to listen to to the to the author talk about it because I don't know enough to tell you. But basically, it, the way it works is that it's a, um, a a a master sort of chemical that helps other things like endorphins in your brain and in your body and what it does it helps with cohesions right and part of what the study has shown is that 
you know, we need people. We, we need to be around one another. Um, isolation is very negative uh, for us. And again, that's something that we've been dealing with, you know, especially in, in April and March, April. And, uh, and in May. And th these effects just don't go away. So we need to be around people. So if you're someone that has been alone this time in the quarantine, then there's going to be a lot of health issues that you're going to deal with that you want to be preventive for. But this oxytocin can be, can work for or against us as a society because that cohesion that it, it creates um, is the sort of bond that starts in childhood. Whenever a mother um, is uh, breastfeeding a child, that skin-to-skin -skin contact is something that creates a bond and it starts to teach the child that um, like who's from the tribe or the family and who is not right and so it's it's a way to stay safe but the problem is is whenever you take it bigger right into society and people start it can create that us versus them because if you have a an idea um or per uh, I don't want to say purpose, but purpose, yeah, purpose or an idea that you agree with as a group. It really doesn't matter if it's bad for society or not, but that oxytocin is going to do its job, and is going to create certain level of cohesion. So even for people who uh, are, it also works with xenophobia, and so for those people that are xenophobes, it's going to create cohesion within their group that hate towards everything that is different and it it's it really um digs digs really deep into that earth, us versus them and that idea of the other all of that is are things that we are dealing with right now in our society because of the fact that first we had the shutdown which you know you had i'm sure that in january and february you had an idea about what 2020 was going to be like. You planned it. You had all these goals and, and uh, you were focused on this thing, right? Even if you weren't so focused, you still had certain plan to what you're going to do for this year. Suddenly, from one week to the next, because, I mean, this all really sped up the second week of, uh, of March. From one week to the next... You went from having plans to thinking, okay, maybe I'm going to have to put off my plans to then thinking, you know, is this stuff really serious to then realizing shit, it's May and we're still dealing, dealing with it. Suddenly is the end of June and all we see is it starting all over again. So we went from having plans to having a future that is uncertain. And that has a, an effect on your mind, on your body, uh, on that chemistry, right? That we all have a unique blend that makes us happy. Um, but point being, uncertainty for the future creates uh, anxiety and, and uh, all those kind of things. But what is important about this in part is that if you have people that you care for um, around you, then... It's, it's easier to have this, uh, this, the right chemistry, right? Eye contact, skin-to-skin -skin contact, um, you know, whether there's a, a lover 
or just a family member, you know, a hug. That's why we've been <laughs> been craving to, to, to give a hug. And, and, and again, going back to our industry, we're so used to being around one another and being affectionate to a degree, right? Depending on the place that you work. I mean, some places that stuff is normal and other places it's just creepy. So just know that I know that it's not everywhere. But the point is, is that all of those things all of a sudden taken away from you, um, it has a little bit of a shock on the senses. But what is the other part about this? The other part is social media. Because whenever we're busy, we have busy days, busy schedule, busy year, month, week, whatever it is. Like there's only so much time that you can give to your social media. And you may want to, but you just don't have the time. Now, all of a sudden, we have all this time. And we're bombarded with information. And, and one of the, the quotes from the, the author is, uh, she says that uh, what we like is what we get. And what we get is what we like. In other words, every time you like something, that algorithm is creating a, 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 a uh, echo chamber for you right a bubble and the more you like stuff then the more it's going to give you what you like and it puts blinders into the rest of the world so that in itself also creates more anxiety because you through your social media might start to believe that things are you know whether it's getting worse and so you get getting more anxious and then in the real world well it's bad, but it's still manageable. Or things are fine. There's not that much to worry about. And then you go into the real world and you start to talk to people that you know and they're getting sick and really sick. And then you're like, shit, you know, what's what's going on here? So detox from social media. Very important. Because what that is going to do is right now I feel like there's so much manipulation going on because they understand that everyone's attention is on social media. If you look at, 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 at watch, if you've ever heard of Gary Vee, uh, go and look him up. And he's constantly talking about attention, attention, attention. I don't care what social media platform it is. I don't care what pl platform it is, period. Wherever people's attention is, that's where I'm going to be feeding them my product, right? My my. Whatever that product is, ideas, actual products, uh, whatever it is. And essentially right now, pol politicians and businesses, large corporations and, and, and manipulators and bad actors and all of that, they know that everyone's attention out of boredom because you already watch everything on Netflix and Amazon Prime and on, uh, you know, whatever other Hulu and HBO Max. So your attention now, it's on social media, plus you're keeping up with friends and because of social distancing, all of those things. So be very, very cautious and you should be detoxing yourself from that. You know, take a whole day, take a week, taking 30 days off and, and just log off or deactivate it. So that way you get back into the world that we're living in and you understand what is happening because we're going through a lot of changes and being aloof is the worst option.
All right, so let's talk about something that is local. Here in Texas, we have this really awesome um, grocery store called uh, HEB. And HEB has been, and the reason I say they're, they're awesome is because they have been that uh, it's really smart regional um, company that has been com- community uh, driven. So whenever Hurricane uh, Harvey came through, um, they were the first ones to be loaded up with with supplies, in particular water. I think at one point we had ran out of water, bottled water in the uh, in most stores, and um, and they've always done that. And so even with the COVID, uh, they've been really good at restocking and just keeping people informed. They've been dr- community driven. What they've done is uh, they partner up with a few of the local restaurant groups uh, that are very well done, known inside the loop in this in the downtown and surrounding areas um, where they give back they don't keep any of the profits so 100 percent of the of the profits uh, or the proceeds of the sale of this food goes right back to the uh, the restaurants and so basically because we're all doing takeout they have already made meals from different restaurants, from Underbelly to Backstreet Cafe, um, Cultivare. There was one Indian place, and I'm sorry that I can't remember, but I'm sure you can find it on their website. But basically, they have uh, been there for the community once again and and helped these restaurants out because every little bit counts right now. Another one is uh, that's on there is Cherry Block from Bravery Chef Hall, um, which... If you go to braveryshefhall.com, you'll notice uh, in the very beginning, right there on the on the landing page, they have had, and this has been from day one, because the very first week uh, that we went to the lockdown in back in March, uh, this is this was the protocol to getting into the uh, the food hall. So, if you're having issues with the way that things are going in your restaurant, and you're not sure what the protocols should be, check out that landing page on uh, bravery, braveryshefhall.com and uh, that'll help you out um, a little bit. And again, I mean, this has been uh, from day one where they just jumped on the uh, on figuring out the right way to keep staff uh, safe. So if you are taking a break already from Netflix and all the movies, let me give you two more that you should watch. And one is by uh, of James Baldwin. It's on Amazon Prime. If you're a Prime member, it's a, it's a free uh, movie on on there. And um, it, it it's a really, really sobering documentary about the life of James Baldwin, but also about that time. And uh, it's uh, sad as much as it is inspiring. The other one is Black uh, Klansman. If there is ever a time to watch that movie, it is right now. Because I just watched it the other day and it is powerful. And it speaks of the time because none of this is new. So just be ready for it because Spike Lee... I mean, that's a masterpiece right there, without a doubt. I know the one thing we did right hey! was-
Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and keep the conversation going.